Bam 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 everybody this is go help yourself a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less oh gosh oh my would god it, would were it that <laughs> would would that it were so i'm lisa linky that's misty stinnett and today is a full frontal friday we are going to read and review a cool book for you and a we're going to tell self-help you book. that's right we're going to tell you all about it the main takeaways likes, anyway we're doing this so that you don't have to, but here's the thing. We can't cover everything in an hour. So if you like what you're hearing, you're going to go out and you're going to buy the book. And if you don't like what you're hearing, you're welcome because we just saved you time and money. The point is We're you can go books. about your busy schedule while we do all the hard work That's writing right. the book. And you can still sound condescending to your friends Thank at you. dinner parties. Thank you. you can still pretend you know exactly what the fuck you're talking about. That's like right. We're here for you. We want to give you the tools you need. Right. To walk around the world being holier than thou. That's really the point of the podcast. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. You're welcome. Also, we fucking cuss, so just be prepared for that. But you should have, because it has a little E for explicit. Yeah. Um, uh, this is, I'm sorry, self-help is not for kids. This is an extreme podcast. T-shirt cannon. That's for nope. my one favorite reviewer. Um, also, uh, I'm Lisa Linky, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Linky, and that's Misty Stinnett. And you can find her on Instagram at Misty Rose. At Misty Rose. And on Twitter at? Uh, Misty Rosie Posey. That's right. R-O-S-E-Y, P-O-S-E-Y. And also... Lisa does a wonderful job with her Instagram page. We're also really active on uh, at Go Help, Help Yourself, Yourself Podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which is our our Instagram page. But as far as my personal page goes, I right now I'm averaging like a photo every four months. That's fine. Yeah. So you like, get to use social media how you, you want to see. You want to see my past experiences? Rock and roll. Also, Follow me on Insta. But I learned I, something I about Misty this past weekend that blew. My mind, which was what? and I started following another account of yours, which oh. was M, <laughs> M Rose Leather. Leather, and Misty makes I leather work. She leather works, and I'm not talking about like with whips and chains. She does leather work. Here. She made, made this purse. I made this tote bag that I'm handing to you, Misty. Yeah, is amazing. I had no idea, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I make purses and keychains and wallets and yeah. key fobs. It's and- a hobby." She has a hobby where she makes yeah. leather work. And yeah. she's going to make me a vegan leather something. Yeah, eventually. We're going to go downtown. We're going to pick out a cool vegan hide or whatever that's called. This is amazing. Thank you. And uh, before we dive into the book, one last thing. Yeah. I came to leather working on my own. It's basically because I was too cheap to buy a Madewell tote. And I was like, I can make that. And so I fell down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos, tutorials, books, et cetera. $10,000 later, Ten, I made my yeah, own. It, by the way, not cheaper mm-hmm. when you have to buy all the tools. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, and I've, I've made totes for uh, totes or pieces for all the, the women in my life. And I've given some keychains out. But um, I was chatting with my gran, my, gran, my mom's mother. Mm-hmm. And I just casually mentioned like, oh, yeah, I've been leatherworking for about a year. Uh, at the time, and she goes, oh, my mother, your great-grandmother, was a leather worker, and I have all of her tools. Excuse me. Would you like them? So I now have all of my great-grandmother's leather working tools, including, like, beautiful little flowery stamps that you can kind of stamp into the leather. So I literally can make patterns from the things that my great-grandmother liked. This How freaking is cool is fascinating. that? All right, well. Okay. 
What do you but have for is, us today? So this has been the Leatherworking Hour with Mr. <laughs> Stinnett and Lisa Linky. Um, uh, so today I am presenting to you okay. the book, uh-huh. Attached, The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love by Amir Levine, MD, and Rachel S.F. Heller, MA. Avril Levine. Avril Levine. It's the number one bestseller in social work on Amazon. I've heard so much about this theory. Yes. It's all about attachment theory, which I'll explain in a moment, but it's so funny. I first heard about it from Genevieve, my hairdresser, who's Amazing. She's at Genevieve Gian Hair, a Genevieve, and then G I A N H A I R on Instagram. If you're in the Los Angeles area, she's freaking amazing. Um, uh, anyway, so she first told me about it. And since then, I have heard about it nonstop from people. Even on Friday night, I went out salsa dancing and I was chatting about it with my friend in the backseat of, of the Uber. And our Uber driver was like, I've heard of this book. And we all started chatting. And then Everybody's every- on Instagram posting, yes. like, if you're anxious, attached. If you're this, attached. If That's you're so this funny because I haven't seen that because I'm trying to take sort of a break from social media right now. So well, this is just— I've seen it all. So it's that pervasive that it's coming into me who's not even on social media. So tell us about it. Okay. So the hardcover is $20.61. The paperback is $15.30. Right. Kindle, $11.99. Thank you. Audiobook, $14.69 or one credit. Mm-hmm. Which is like fifteen dollars. Who reads it? So it's narrated by Walter Dixon, and mm-hmm. he's he's uh, got sort of a deep male voice, but a really pleasant, non-threatening situation. Oh, like a on a pharmaceutical ad, right? So they're they're um, Tim Ferriss's book, The Four Hour Work Week, is uh, is read by uh, a guy named Ray something Charles. Nope. No, but that would Donovan. be really pleasant. Anyway, Ray he, Donovan. No, but he's he's amazing. But he he has this sort of like aggressive, sort of confident sounding voice, and so this is just like a pretty pleasant male narrator. Okay. So, um, and also if you have the OverDrive app, and if this book is on your OverDrive app, which we learned is not always the case, mm-hmm. and from a listener email in a recent minisode, it's free, and that's how I listen to it. And you know, I bought the paperback. And then I didn't have time to sit down and read it, so I also bought the audiobook. And Lisa, can you tell us about the cover? I can. It's um, two magnets uh, kind of sawed off on on one end to they're form a heart. They're horseshoe magnets, and um, they're they're attracted to each other, so yes. they're forming a heart. Yes. Um, and it's just white with a big red attached period. The new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love. Yeah. And then at the top, it says a groundbreaking book that redefines what it means to be in a relationship from John Gray. And that was the dude who's, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Yeah. So it's a simple but effective cover. So let me tell you about the authors. Great. And their website, uh, this is from their website, attachedthebook.com. Great. Love it. There's there's a story behind that, I'm sure. So Dr. Amir Levine, MD, is an adult, child, and adolescent psychiatrist and neuroscientist. He graduated from the residency program at the New York Presbyterian Hospital and Columbia University, where he is currently a principal investigator, together with Nobel Prize laureate Dr. Eric Kandel and distinguished researcher Dr. Denise Kandel on a National Institute of Health-sponsored research project. He also has a private practice in Manhattan. Okay. Amir is board-certified in adult psychology and is a member of the American Psychiatric Association, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Society for Neuroscience. So he's basically unqualified. 
super unqualified. Great. And also on the website, it's like he occasionally takes new patients. You can email this address if you want to. <laughs> so that's on that website too. Rachel S. F. Heller, MA, holds a master's degree in social organizational psychology from Columbia University. She has worked in the past as a corporate consultant for several management consulting firms, including PricewaterhouseCoopers, KPMG Consulting, and Towers Perrin, which I'm sure are fancy, but I have no idea they are, what they, they mean. don't really exist anymore. Great, where she managed high-profile clients. She lives with her husband and three children in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. So as far as my first impressions, you've already heard what the cover looks like. It's 294 pages, the paperback is. Um, and when I first started listening to it, it just sounded very simple and straightforward. But the narrator was nice. So simple, straightforward tools, kind of like the five love languages, but very effective. Uh, so that's what we're getting into. Okay, so here we go. This book is all about a psychological model called attachment theory, and it explores something called attachment systems, which are a pattern of emotions and behavior that bring us close to our loved ones. Mm -hmm. For example, a child's attachment system activates when their mother leaves the room, and it stays active through crying and sobbing until she reestablishes contact. So annoying. (laughs) Thank you. Attachment systems also get activated with adults and their romantic partners, and that is what this book is about. It is about relationships and romantic partners. Based on how our attachment systems were formed as children? No. They sort of talk about that, but there's not... It's, it's it's not a causal. Yeah, okay. well, well, it is causal, but it's not as straightforward as you'd think. Great. And they even say this in the book. They're like, to think that our entire attachment system style comes just from a relationship with our parents is ridiculous because there's teachers, there's rom- romantic Good, because trauma you have when you're growing up. American moms, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just about moms, right? Like it's dads too. So it yeah, it but really we all is. Blame the mother, you know that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And so it's all it's it's and he even says it's so complex, but it does you know that we couldn't possibly really scientifically qualify it, but it does come from many different places and significant relationships. So. The premise of the book is that your significant other is greatly responsible for your happiness in a relationship. Wait, what? Yep. The authors say a big misconception about relationships is that your happiness should come from within yourself and is not dependent on your intimate partner or other people close to you. I already hate this book. I know. But they say research shows that's not how relationships actually work and that according to attachment theory, your well-being is your partner's responsibility and also vice versa. Question. That your partner's well-being is your responsibility. Uh huh. What about for single people? Does that mean I can't be happy? Uh, this is in a relationship. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy until I get in a relationship, and then in a relationship, my happiness is responsible by somebody else. I am going to read you an excerpt from page 25, and then another one from page 27. And Maybe then this will I'll decide if we move forward. That's right. The codependency myth, and I, I do think if if you're why don't you, everything you're listening to, of you know, keep bringing up this this sort of single woman lens, and I also am a single woman now. Cool, mm-hmm. cool, cool. Um, and we can sort of analyze it as we go. Great. Because I do think with significant relationships, it's like think about those significant relationships in your life and how this might apply to them. Great. So this is called uh, – this is from the section dependency is not a bad word. And this is the subheading the codependency myth. 
The codependency movement and other currently popular self-help approaches portray relationships in a way that is remarkably similar to the views held in the first half of the 20th century about the child-parent bond. Um, And what they talk about is that, like, you shouldn't overcoddle your children. You shouldn't hold them. You shouldn't give them too much affection. It will make them... Uh, like efficient and self-soothing and make them happy, which we now know is total bullshit. Like kids have to be held and loved and made to feel secure. So, so he's saying that we are still backwards on this codependency stuff. Today's experts offer advice that goes something like this. Your happiness is something that should come from within and should not be dependent on your lover or mate. Your well-being is not their responsibility and theirs is not yours. Each person needs to look after himself or herself. In addition, you should learn not to allow your inner peace to be destroyed disturbed by the person you are closest to. If your partner acts in a way that undermines your sense of security, you should be able to distance yourself from the situation emotionally. Quote, keep the focus on yourself and stay on an even keel. If you can't do that, there might be something wrong with you. You might be too enmeshed with the other person or codependent, and you must learn to set better boundaries. The basic premise underlying this point of view is that the ideal relationship is one between two self-sufficient people who unite in a mature, respectful way while maintaining clear boundaries. If you develop a strong dependency on your partner, you are deficient in some way and are advised to work on yourself to become more differentiated and develop a greater sense of self. The worst possible scenario is that you will end up needing your partner, which is equated with addiction to him or her with And with addiction, we all know, is a dangerous prospect. While the teachings of the codependency movement remain immensely helpful in dealing with family members who suffer from substance abuse, as was the initial intention, they can be misleading and even damaging when applied indiscriminately to all relationships. Um, So that's the first thing. And then the next excerpt I want to read is two pages later on page 27. It's called The Dependency Paradox. Well before brain imaging technology was developed, uh, an, an author or a scientist named John Bowlby understood that our need for someone to share our lives with is part of our genetic makeup and has nothing to do with how much we love ourselves or how fulfilled we feel on our own. He discovered that once we choose someone special, powerful and often uncontrollable forces come into play. New patterns of behavior kick in regardless of how independent we are and despite our conscious wills. Once we choose a partner, there is no question about about whether dependency exists or not. It always does. An elegant coexistence that does not include uncomfortable feelings of vulnerability and fear of loss sounds good, but it is not our biology. What proved through evolution to have a strong survival advantage is a human couple becoming one psychological unit, which means that if she's reacting, then I'm reacting, or if he's upset, that also makes me unsettled. He or she is part of me, and I will do anything to save him or her, or all genders. I'm going to throw that in there. Having such a vested interest in the well-being of another person translates into a very important survival advantage for both parties. So I have some thoughts. Yep. One, um, this does sound very heteronormative. Is this book heteronormative? It, it, they toggle back and forth. So yes and no. They use, I remember one example, uh, because they use real life examples of couples that they've studied. They use one example of two men in a relationship and they definitely toggle back and forth between pronouns mm-hmm, in it. Mm-hmm. But that being said, it's still binary. My other question, oh, I have multiple. Yep. One of my other questions yep. is this sounds like it's only talking about uh, relationships between two people. So there's no, no, no polyamory. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, okay. Uh, also, I, I feel like they've set up a dichotomy as well and uh-huh. that there's no, 
room in the middle that where I can acknowledge that my partner is upset about something, but I am not going to get super upset. Yes, and we will get into that. What you're describing is a secure attachment system. Okay, so we'll get into that. So they're like, either you have a boundary and you don't give a fuck about what your partner is feeling, right? Or you're upset about what your partner is feeling, right? But what's what's interesting is just let me say, and those two things you described, yeah, it's like our old way of thinking is that your partner is independent and you don't care because you set up boundaries, or you don't care Mm because you've established good boundaries, Mm -hmm. or if you do care, you need to set better boundaries, and I can. If my partner comes home and is angry about something, yep. I can acknowledge that they're angry. Mm-hmm. But I don't have and to not get, get swept angry up about in it. it. Yeah, yeah. And so this, it's like, or I can decide. Like it's, if it's because somebody hurt them, yeah. I can be angry about it. It's if they lost their fantasy football, and I'm gonna get angry. Yeah, about it. totally. So we'll cover more of that. But I will say the feelings that you're having right now. I also got pretty triggered and like activated it's very quickly i don't like it yeah and also the first thing they say is like codependency is not a not a dirty word basically it's not a bad word I mean, we're interdependent as a species we are so we're going to keep moving on because there's a lot to cover yeah. but i will explain how this book was simultaneously very triggering and upsetting uh, and problematic in some ways, and yet very powerful and helpful. It's also framed yeah. around their research, which is what it sounds like. Yes. So, it sounds like, hey, we have this theory. We did research. It backs up our theory. Here's our theory. Yeah. yeah. And they also cite, you know, attachment theory, theory started many decades ago. So sure. research has shown that when you become attached to someone, you form one psychological unit. You are no longer separate entities, and the influence of one on the other even happens on the biological level, sure. namely to the point of mutual regulation of blood pressure, heart rate, breathing, and hormones. Sure. So biologically, we become dependent Look, on each other. we get our periods at the same time. Big yeah, deal. Yeah. Well, it is interesting, right, that just being in the presence of the person you're attached to can literally calm you down. I mean, it makes sense, but also it it doesn't make sense because we humans think of ourselves as different than animals, but we're just animals. We're just animals. Yeah. When two people form an intimate relationship, they not only regulate each other's biological states, but also, even more importantly, each other's psychological and emotional well-being. The main message of the book is that if you want to become independent, happy, and fulfilled in life while being in a relationship, your main job is to find the right person to depend on. Jesus Christ. So, the, yeah. So, it's it's you got to hold a lot of stuff, Do these right? people go on... Do they go on to Tinder? Have they been on OKCupid? Okay yeah, because they need to shut the fuck. We're up. gonna get. We're gonna get into. <laughs> we're gonna get into the dating pool and why it's problematic. Okay, ready? Yep. If your partner is unable to meet your basic attachment needs, mm-hmm. you experience a chronic sense of disquiet and suffer from constant tension. That can have serious consequences for your emotional well-being and even physical health. That's why it's so important to understand your attachment style and the attachment style of people close to you, especially your spouse. What is your love language and what is your attachment style? I'm not even kidding. Also, I'm going to start asking. I like this. haunted houses. <laughs> Lisa's quoting uh, uh, Next Level Basic, which is the last book we covered. And also, I like pumpkin spice lattes and candy crush. But if I like those, is that going to make you mad? Because that'll make me mad. And that's, that's not a problem. But as long as you take me to brunch, it's all fine. Fine. Okay. So the authors quote uh, someone named Baruch Spinoza, who says, quote, All happiness or unhappiness solely depends upon the quality of the object to which we are attached by love. Okay. So, the authors say you can enjoy the following benefits of knowing about the attachment style theory and its implications. That's one. 
number two. <laughs> that's you, number two. That's yeah. <laughs> okay. You can gain a much better understanding of yourself and how you function in relationships. You can develop a healthier attachment style if you suffer from a toxic one. You get the framework to better choose the right people to get involved in a relationship with. You acquire the knowledge to help your spouse be more constructive in a relationship. So that's why I'm getting triggered because yeah. I was in a toxic relationship. Yes. And that was because I couldn't set boundaries. Great. Also, they were fucked up. Great. But um, so I don't like this idea that like I need them to be happy. You don't need them to be happy. It sounds like you were probably an anxious attachment style. They were an avoidant one and those don't mix and you'll hear why. No, they were fucking toxic. Right. Yes. They the, were a horrible person. Right. So the point is that was the <laughs> wrong person for you to depend on. And this is supposed to help you find the right. That's yes. the theory. My problem is that they're reducing it to one component. Yes, me too. Me too. And so this it's is something not that he was wrong to depend on. He had mental problems that he wouldn't address. He was abusive. Yeah. He had you. a lot of problems. He was yeah. emotionally abusive. Yes. But that's not that I chose the wrong person to depend on. Yes. He also had shit that he needed to be accountable for. A hundred percent. That's my but problem. We can with this. only but all that's in our control is our behavior. So I don't disagree, do. right? But I'm right. not going to be like, oh, I chose the wrong attachment style. No, this person was emotionally abusive. Do you see what I'm saying? I do see what yeah. you're saying. And the other thing that, and I was saving this for the end, but we'll get into it now. The other thing is that they they say throughout the book, here's the type of person you really need to get in a relationship with, and you can have a fulfilling and wonderful relationship. And it's like, listen, I don't have control over that. You you can. You can literally go, oh, I'm seeing this person's an avoidant attachment. I'm not going to keep seeing that. Sure. Right? But the point is, it's only one facet. So right. they make it sound like it's this balm that's going to soothe everything. Right. Here's the thing. You can be in a wonderful rela relationship with complementary attachment styles and everyone's feeling secure and happy, but you could have fundamental differences. Right? right? That's literally my life. Right. I'm so it's Sunni, not the only Shiite. thing. It's a problem. Yeah. It's not the only thing. And they don't ever really acknowledge that in the book. And right. go, because here's the thing. There are wonderful men with everything on paper and secure attachment styles. But if you don't have, if I, I'm going to take responsibility and say, if I don't have chemistry with them, it's a moot point. That's it's right. not just about the attachment style. That's right. So the it's- Boiling it down to one They thing. oversimplify. Yeah. yeah. But this does feel like a very important component sure. and something to consider. Sure. Right? So like the love languages, it's like, Speaking in your your partner's love language is not necessarily going to fix everything, but it sure as shit could help. Well, and you're also identifying yours, and that yeah. doesn't make you mutually exclusive. Right, yeah. right. So there are four different attachment styles. Number one. Secure. Yes. This is 50% of the population. Oh, thank God. Right? That's also, females are 50% of the population. You're so funny. I love that you said that, I'm which we'll get into in a second. Two. Anxious. Yes. This is 51% of the population. Thank you. This is very upsetting. Uh, which, that was me being anxious. Okay, 20% yes. of the population okay. have anxious attachment styles. Great. Three. Avoidance. Oh, probably only 10%. 25% Fuck of the population. Right in the mouth. Yep. And the last one is only going to be 5%. 5%. Then you're so good. Sam! So uh, the, this is called the disorganized or fearful attachment style. Wait, this might be me. No. 5% of the population uh, don't fall into 
any of the categories precisely, but exhibit some of the more extreme traits from both anxious and avoidant. Oh, they're like, do they call them anxious avoidant or just? Literally, they call it disorganized in the book or You can't figure your shit out. But we are going to focus on secure, anxious, and avoidant because the book does not go into, they just sort of are like, there's this other category and we're just going to brush it aside. So on Instagram, I see a lot of anxious avoidant. Mm -hmm. They, They combine them both. Sure. Because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, apparently. Yeah. And also, as I was reading this book, and I'm wondering if anybody listening is going to do the same thing, but in each category, I was like, oh, I'm definitely that one. Well, The next one, yeah. I'm like, I'm definitely that one. So it's, it's like not, when you read a horoscope. You're like, I'm also a Sagittarius. I'm also a Gemini. Right. Yeah. So genes, life experience, and parental caring, plus much more, all contribute to shape our attachment style. And the proof that genes and parental care are not the be-all and end-all lies in the fact that around 25 to 30% of adults change attachment styles based on life experiences and romantic history. Like your MBTI changes, your Myers-Briggs. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, we, you know what, we're going to cover that on a mini-sode very soon because I've been wanting to retake that because I used to be an ENFJ and I do not think I am anymore. I'm an ENFJ or an ENFP. I flip back and forth. Great. And if this sounds super fucking boring to you, I promise it won't when we cover it on an episode. (laughs) Um, So this is great news because it means you can change your own attachment style to achieve healthier, intimate relationships. But at the same time, if, like your experience, you were in a toxic relationship, you may go from being having a secure attachment style to anxious the next time. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you, right? Um, but it's nice to know it's malleable. I just go to disorganized. Thank you. And all she does is rip a paper and throw it around. And that's how she gets her partner's attention. I can't attention. find my relationship. <laughs> it's not, I put it in my purse and it's not there. I can swear I set it right next to the door. <laughs> my keys and my relationship. <laughs> all you got to do is put one of those stickers on it. What are those tiles? Tiles. Put a tile in your relationship. It ran out of battery. You'll never lose it. Okay, so the first attachment style is the secure attachment style. Secure attachment type is the most sound and grounded. Secure attachment types enjoy intimacy and are not afraid of opening up. Their relationships tend to last long, and they are the ones with the highest relationship satisfaction. Their qualities include things like they're naturally warm and loving. Mm -hmm. They enjoy intimacy. Mm -hmm. They're not too worried about relationship up and downs. Mm -hmm. They effectively communicate their needs. Mm -hmm. They're good at supporting their partner. Mm -hmm. And they have a realistic view of blame. Um, Uh, Secure types don't play games. They might have a mindset like this. Here I am. I like you. If you don't like me, it will hurt a bit, but I'll understand. There's many people out there that I could have a great bond with. And if you also like me, then there's no need to hide and play games. Yeah, that's me. Great. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, can't wait to see what you think when we uh, hit the other categories. Yeah. So what gives people a secure attachment? There are many factors. That's it. Goodbye. There are many factors that increase the likelihood of a child being secure, including mothers who are sensitive to the child's needs, the child naturally having an easy temperament as a baby because Uh it makes it easier for parents to be responsive. Sure, so if you're a colicky baby, that's tough. Yeah. Good maternal conditions, marital satisfactions, low stress, no depression, and social support. Fewer hours with a non-parental caretaker, genetic predisposition, and life experience like avoiding big romantic traumas. So it's money. Yeah. Because if you, yeah, if your parent doesn't have to work and can be there with you, yeah. Yeah. Or afford a really great caretaker. Yeah. So that's a really broad overview of the first attachment style. Great. The second is the anxious attachment style. (laughs) 
Sorry, number I was two. feeling anxious. Yeah, that's number. Lisa just toots when she's anxious. <laughs> I learned oh, Lisa, how to do I can that. See, you're really upset right now. You're so proud that you can fart into your hand because this is how I used to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's and it was bad. Yeah. And now. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so now, sorry. Everybody, listen, if you were thinking about leaving a review, don't yet. Just listen to a couple more or episodes. leave a review of how good my fart sounds who, are. Who taught you that? Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Anxious attachment style. This is when we go, Sarah, I love you, and we reset. Okay. Anxious, the anxious attachment type can get close and actually craves getting close, sometimes too much or too early on, which is a judgment. Uh-huh. But at the same time, they th- at the same time that they want to get close, they're constantly worried about their relationship status and are afraid their partner might not feel the same. Oh, that used to be me. They are very sensitive to their partner's moods and tend to be temperamental. With their doubts, worries, and mood emotional swings, they make relationships very fiery and often not in a good way. Ugh. So qualities of people with an anxious attachment system are they want and can be very close. Uh-huh. They fear their partner doesn't want the same. Mm-hmm. They get attached very quickly. Mm-hmm. Relationships takes up a lot of their energy. They're very sensitive to their partner's moods. They spot moods early, but are often wrong mm-hmm. um, about the cause. So mm-hmm. they, they they assume that they're the cause. Yeah, they tend to be able. So basically, they're very sensitive to those changes, but they're not accurate in reading them. Right. Like, um, oh, he's mad. It's probably because I left the my shoes out on the floor. Yeah. And something they talk about in the book is because they did this study about what frame they noticed the change in a facial expression and anxious attachments always noticed it first. Mm-hmm. But they had they jumped to the wrong conclusion about what it was. And if they're delayed, even by 30 seconds or a minute, they tend to have a more accurate appraisal of what it is. So one of the behavioral changes they recommend for someone with an anxious attachment is delay. Wait a half an hour. Wait an hour before you reach out and accuse or engage in protest behavior, which we'll get into. Yep. Uh, they may they experience many negative emotions yep. in a relationship. Quote, unquote, they, negative emotions. Yeah. They often misbehave and say things they regret, and they feel there's something wrong with them. So it's important to notice, though, that if your partner provides all the security and reassurance you need, like if you're dating a secure partner, anxious individuals will drop most of these negative behaviors and move into a secure Attachment behavior. I mean, how fucking annoying for that secure partner to be like, no, you didn't do anything wrong. No, no, I no. But it, it's it's not because the secure partner just is available and doesn't think too much about it. And so they just feel more secure. Okay. Right? So the authors say that people with an anxious attachment system often engage in protest behavior. This is the pattern of emotions and behavior we utilize to get in touch uh, with our mother as children or to our partners as adults. The protest. Yep. Thank you. So say you called your partner a few times during the day and they didn't pick up or they sent you to voicemail. Oh. So you're well, starting to feel really anxious. Look out. Yeah. So what might you do in that situation? Well, when I stay them that night, I'm not going to talk to them. Thank you. Examples of protest behavior are things like not picking up the phone when they call back or being curt when they finally do or threatening to break up with them. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> The point is that you protest to try and get them to be closer with you, right? If you really cared about me, you'd pick up the phone when I call. Da-da-da-da. Right? This is why I'm single. Because I hate people. Right? So the author says evolution shaped our attachment system and protest behavior because staying closer to our loved ones helps us to survive. They help us and our children to stay alive. So when they reach out, 
I rebuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Je rebuff. Well, the point is to be like, I'm mad at you, so now you have to close the gap and come get closer to me. So that is the anxious attachment style. So in a very broad sense. So the third style. Wait, what causes that, did they say? Like uh, they, they just broke down the secure? They really just break down the secure in that sense. <laughs> They're like, if you didn't have this, Well, because, no, it's, it's many different factors, right? It's like- sure. If your parents didn't respond, if you had emotional trauma, if you had so, if or maybe you have or maybe things, a spouse died, so and like, that gives you if you had these things, yeah. you'll most likely end up secure. If you didn't, you might end up in one of these three other categories. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to infer what the opposite. Infer. Otherwise, they said it, and it just fell right out of my brain. I don't mind it. So the third style is the avoidant attachment style. <sighs> Avoidant attachment types are uncomfortable with intimacy and being too close. Don't touch me. And they keep partners at arm's length. They don't open up fully in their relationships and need their own space in order to not feel suffocated. From a neurological point of view, research seems to point to avoidance having the same need for closeness and intimacy as anybody else but they suppress those needs. Just suppress. One of the ways they do so is by focusing on the negative qualities of their partners. Yeah. You have big, hairy arms, and I don't like it. Thank you. So keep them away from me. Listen. Your fingers are huge like sausages. Thank you. I'm talking like Gene from Bob's Burgers. I was going to say, him. I evolved from apes, so that all feels right. <laughs> Um, In the end, avoidance tend to be less happy in their relationships and to make their partners less happy as well. Avoidance tend to be defensive and avoid getting too close as a form of avoiding pain and rejection. Why is that my fault? Right. So what's really interesting is in the examples, it's like two people fall hard for each other and they're like, he's the one or she's the one or they're the one. And it's amazing. And then quickly it's like... He breathes out of his mouth. Yeah, he, he breathes out of his mouth. And also like... They, okay, so we'll get into it. I was about to say something, but I'm jumping ahead. I'm just so excited. Okay. Avoidant qualities. Okay. They put their independence and autonomy above all else. Yeah. They want to be close, but feel uncomfortable with too much intimacy. Yeah. They're not worried about relationship up and downs. No. They don't open up. No. They're worried the relationship is becoming a cage. Yeah. They have an ideal true love they never meet. Yeah. This idea of this fan or or a phantom ex who they put on a pedestal who really wasn't that great because they're not with them. That's right. Right? Um, but it's like, oh no, when I really meet the one, all of these qualities will be taken care of. Yes. Right? Yeah. So they feel there's something wrong with the partners they're with and they tend to be less happy and satisfied in a relationship. Yeah. So these are people who are like, oh no, women are all out to get me for my money. Yeah. That's an avoidant type. Yeah. Right? Men just want me for my pussy. So that's right. Made of gold. And vajazzled. Vajazzled. Also from uh, Next Level Basic. Yeah. So something that avoidance do is they employ deactivating strategies okay. to keep from getting too close. Okay. So studies suggest that it's not true that avoidance don't feel all the same emotions that anyone else does. Their attachment reactions still work under the hood, but they are just better at repressing them. Okay. Um. And even more studies reveal that when avoidants go through highly stressful events, their defenses break and they seem to behave as anxious people behave. Okay. Which is like what it's sort of like when they're in control, it's great. But then if they panic, they really need reassurance from other people and intimacy and someone to lean on. Yes. So these are the techniques avoidants use to avoid fully entertaining their feelings. Tell me. Professing not being ready to commit, Je but profess. staying anyway. Je profess. <laughs> 
It's just going to be sh- sh- record. Yeah, you get sh- it. Have a podcast. You get it. Uh, focusing on their partner's imperfections, mm-hmm. reminiscing about an ideal ex, mm-hmm. flirting with others, yeah. moving away when things are going great, Bye. going into impossible relationships like long distance. Married partners. Have you met my, Have you have you watched Ninety Day Fiance before? Not the yet. 90 days? Not yet. This season, there's a seven, 19 year old woman from Columbus, Ohio, who converted to Islam and is marrying a man in Syria who she's never met. And her plan is to move to Syria until he can get his uh, visa. Wow. And she goes, I mean, I know that like it's a country in the middle of war, but I love him. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So they also keep secrets and they avoid. <laughs> she hasn't told her mom. And they avoid physical closeness. So this is somebody who might go, I'm just going to sleep on the couch tonight. Yeah. Or I'm going to sleep in the other room. Or they say, I'm going to marry a man in a religion in that Syria. doesn't allow people to physically touch until they're married. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. But I they still crave this. intimacy. Yeah. This may turn into yeah. a, co- a co-hybrid of 90 yeah. Day Fiance before the 90 Days. So once avoidance break up, they can sometimes see the truth and how good their relationship really was. Once they Just break up, they can see the truth. Of how good their relationship actually was. Oh, okay. Once they're out of Which it. is different from putting an ex on a pedestal. Yeah, but okay. also might a contribute that. to that. Okay. Right. Okay. So here's the thing. Okay. Although it might sound counterintuitive... Anxious and avoidant people tend to find themselves in relationships with each other. The authors say this is because it tends to reinforce a narrative they already think about the world. For anxious people, that romance is difficult and no one wants to be with them. And for avoidant people, that there really are people who want to trap them or infringe on their autonomy. So you're saying it's not anxious, anxious, and avoidant, avoidant. It's anxious and avoidant. Yes. Okay, yeah. It's what they call the anxious avoidant <laughs> okay. trap. Oh, because the anxious person, the so they get close. Ooh. The avoidant person moves away to avoid. The anxious person pr- engages in protest behavior to pull them closer, which just reinforces the avoidance point of view that someone's trying to trap them in a relationship. Look how manipulative they're being. And it reinforces that anxious point of view of like, no, men just don't want to be with me and relationships are hard. That really sounds, wild. That sounds really fun. Avoidance and avoidance don't usually date each other because they lack the emotional pull to stay together. <laughs> <laughs> so the authors say that the best people to date if you're anxious or avoidant is someone who is secure. Yeah, why does that secure person got to do all that work? I, well, it doesn't necessarily mean it's work because it comes naturally to them. Right? So, because an anxious person, uh, well, also, they're not afraid to meet their partner's needs and talk it out. It's just not a thing for them. They're just comfortable with intimacy. Is the anxious person available to talk it out? Yes and no. Thank you. Right? Is the avoidant person anxious to talk people, about? Anxious people tend to not just put an emotional need on the table because they're terrified that if they say they need something, it will push their partner away. Yeah. So they tend to internalize it. But if a secure person is there and they're not playing games, they're like, hey, I really like you. I want to take you out again. It sort of eliminates the problem at the start. Do you All know right. what I mean? Yeah. All right. So because an anxious person who is reassured by a secure person will also become secure. An avoidant person will also be happier because they won't feel the neediness of the secure person in the same way that they would with an anxious partner. But secure people don't tend to be in the dating pool for very long. Yeah, because they get snatched up. Because they're secure and tend to be bonded. But avoidant people tend to be in the pool very often because their relationships don't last as long as those with secure attachment styles and they bounce back much more quickly to which I wrote in all caps cool 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 yeah so all the people that I need to date are they're not there 
it's just anxious and avoid. Cool, cool. So listen, if you're a secure attachment, um, email us at uh, cohelpyourselfpodcast.gmail.com. If you're a secure attachment, dating an anxious or an avoidant and you're tired of it, come hit your girls up. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about uh, our attachment styles in a minute. And that's going to be your homework, by the way. So um, how different styles deal with conflict. Cool. So only secure people approach conflict openly. Nice. Thank you. Anxious people, uh, anxious attachment styles are wary of their partner's response and can get scared about the whole relationship trajectory. When they engage in conflict, they exaggerate with strong accusations, crying, or using an angry style of silent treatment. This is protest behavior. Avoidance also feel their partner won't be there when they need them. But to deal with these thoughts, they distance themselves and find fault with their partners. So the authors include... A lot of quizzes and questions in the book to help determine your attachment style and also that of your partner or potential partner so that you can assess from your point of view. Yes, Lisa. Lisa has her hand up. Lisa, in the back. There's a question. Um, (laughs) It's really hard not to inherently see a, a value structure in these attachment styles and that secure is valued above oh, anxious yeah. or avoidance. Yeah, absolutely. And yet half of the population isn't secure. Yeah. Do they half the population is secure? Thank supposedly. you. Hey, thank you. Thanks. I'm a nihilist. Um, do they ever say outright that like there's no better or worse? They say the healthiest attachment style is secure. Fuck them. And that that's that's my biggest critique of the book yeah. is that it's it's very like here's what you need to do to be happy and it feels the same way no and it's funny i i say this in the end but it 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 feels the way a conversation does when someone who doesn't know you very well starts giving you personal advice you should just right? do this like you won't be happy if you do this as opposed to just laying out the facts like subjects in a research study supported being more happy when right <laughs> versus here's no here's what you need to do so even just the language they use to the book that's why I was like what the fuck book you don't fucking know me yeah. and I was really yeah. it's very it's condescending it's like well-meaning condescending okay Great. So, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. So they also give many examples of how each attachment style might react in a given situation mm-hmm. and how they could alter their behavior to act in a more secure way. Okay. And I found this to be really valuable. So and, and it's cool because they use actual real life scenarios that feel very complex but relatable. And oh, they'll great. say, okay, so like your your boyfriend booked a singles cruise six months before he met you. You're not comfortable with him going on the cruise because you're worried about infidelity. Do you, A, light his clothes on fire, B, talk to him about it and tell him your feelings, or C, break up with him and never talk to him again? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Except it's not a multiple choice question in this case. It's not a quiz. But so so the anxious person is afraid to just say, I'm worried you will cheat on me on this cruise. Yeah. The avoidant person deactivates by generalizing and is like, oh, what? So I'm just never supposed to do anything without you again. And what they then do is break it down like the if you weren't if you didn't want to act in an anxious way, you could say, I'm really worried about infidelity. Is there something we can come up with to assuage that? Mm -hmm. And the avoidant person to act in a secure way would say, hey, here are the things I'm going to do to reassure you, as opposed to just generalizing and deactivating. I see you. I love you. I care about you. So I found that to be a really helpful part of the book. That's great. So one other thing that really struck me was the section in the book about how our brains work when we break up with someone. Okay. So this... 
blew my mind. You texted me about this. I did. So basically, there was a study with rat pups and their mom. I know. This makes me sad. It does. So basically, all these rat pups who were attached to their mom in bonding were separated from their mother. I know. I know. Poor rat pups. Unethical, but I all know. right. Poor rat pups. And uh, uh, they studied the physiological effects of the rats. So what they learned is that when you break up with someone, your entire brain and physiological being tries to do everything it can to reattach you. Which makes sense. Because it does. Because you'll survive. survive. And that's our mm-hmm. that's our evolutionary process. So, for instance, your brain will minimize all of the bad memories yeah. that you had together, all of the Those problems. Those windows go down to the yeah. bottom, the taskbar. That's right. It will maximize and flood you with all of the positive memories. All of those photos come flashing back up. That's exactly right. It will cause you to reminisce. It will cause you uh, to physically feel in pain. Mm-hmm. So the same area of the brain that lights up when you, say, break your leg, lights up with the same intensity mm-hmm. when you are going through we this detachment. We talked about that in um, Daring Greatly with yes. Brene Brown, yes. that vulnerability and uh, yes. all those things are physical pain. We feel physical pain of emotion. Physical pain. It's excruciating. Mm-hmm. So you're feeling all Heartbreak. of these— heartbreak and it's actually raising your blood pressure and your heart rate and anxiety so here's how it relates to the rat study you can they found through the study that you can placate each aspect on its own a little bit right you can mimic the behaviors of the mother right so with the rat pups so the rat pups needed to be fed kept warm and touched Mm -hmm. groomed so if if they uh, heated use a heating pad for the rat pups, okay, that took care of one problem, but they still had anxiety mm-hmm. and physiological problems from the other two. It, once they fed them, another need was met, and once they they used a little brush to brush them to mimic the mom licking, and another need was met. But the only thing that completely got rid of all the bad problems all at once was being reunited with their mother. Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. Yeah, you don't you can't fuck with nature. Well, this is why even one text message from your ex can make you feel instantly better. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to talk to them, but being in the same room with them will calm your whole nervous system down. So understanding that as I'm going through a breakup, that, oh, this is my attachment system flaring up, really helped. Yeah. But it does not mean it's like the most intense thing ever yeah. when your attachment system um, flares up. So real life applications of this book, learn your attachment style. Um, and they have a quiz at attachthebook.com. It's really quick. It's 18 questions. This is is your homework. So it's 18 questions. It takes less than five minutes. It's multiple choice. Really simple. Although I did not love the way things were worded. They felt very vague. Like, hey, so do you act up in a relationship when this happens? And I'm going like, act, or it was act out. I was like, what does that mean? Does that mean like slamming a door? Do you project? Do you you cheat out to the audience? Yeah, thank you. So it's like, okay, yeah, thank you. Do you hit your mark and find your light and really deliver that monologue? I always do. I know you do. Uh, The next thing is you can notice your partner's attachment style. So notice what type of attachment your partner has. Unless you're both secure, it will make you understand where most of your conflicts stem from. Ah, So that can be powerful. That's smart. You can date with attachment in mind if you're single. That's right. I never gone. Attach. 
I like to hit it and snatch. Nope. What? I don't know. Are you making it up? I was I like, am, what I song am, is am, this? So you can look for a partner with a complimentary attachment style. Um, you can also change yourself. Thank Understand you. your limitations and move towards a secure style as much as you can. Like, so if you're anxious and you're going like, oh, I know what they're feeling and you know that delaying will help you have a more accurate read, give yourself 20 minutes before I you reach out. I don't know what they're feeling, right. but I will in 20 minutes. Right. So you can also ask your partner to change. Explain to your partner <laughs> attachment styles and what it means for your relationship. What? No. Yep. You can never expect people to change. And they also say, pick a great relationship. <laughs> don't be ashamed to need a great relationship. Sorry. Okay. That's what human biology is all about. Great. Worry instead about finding a great partner. So the idea is that attachment theory will lead you to a better and deeper understanding of people. Well, and as as I learned that my happiness is tied to others, I need to make that a priority. Thank you. And it will also give you a very practical understanding on how to get better relationships. To do so, it's very important to understand your own attachment style first and to recognize others' attachment styles as you date them. Yeah. Uh, Or for anyone listening, they're going, oh, fuck. Fuck. I'm married to someone who's an avoidant and I'm an... Yeah. So, and the authors urge the readers to try and suss out a potential romantic partner's attachment style early on to make sure you're choosing someone who has the capacity to be a wonderful partner to you and not get you caught in that anxious avoidant trap. Likes. So that ghosts, haunted houses, brunch, anything gold, shoes, and secure attachment styles. And uh, but also sparkles. Thank you. Um <laughs> it's funny because that makes you not a basic bitch if you put secure attachment styles in That's there. That's right. So That is a super broad overview of Attached, the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love by Amir Levine, MD, and Rachel S.F. Heller, M.A. There's a lot more to this book. Sure. We can't cover everything. So if this is intriguing to you, um, you can head head to attachedthebook.com for more resources. You can take that attachment style quiz, which I did. Uh, um, And you can buy the book wherever books are sold. What did you, what, what did, what attachment style did it say you were? So I was really surprised because I, as I was reading the book, I was like, oh, I for sure have an anxious attachment style, but there are definitely moments or people that I have an avoidant attachment style with. I took the quiz and it said I'm secure. Yeah, you are, bitch. Do you think so? You're one secure bitch. I'm one secure basic bitch. Misty, thank you for that uh, review. Tell me, what did the authors get right? <sighs> The eye roll was intense. What I really loved were the examples. Great. Here's how it applies in real life situations. And like I already said, shifting like, okay, so we break down a scenario or a fight. What are they actually fighting about? How is someone deactivating? How is someone using protest behavior? And how can you change that to have a much better dialogue? That was wonderful. uh, what What did the authors get wrong? That they never said this is but one component. There's so much more to a relationship. There's so much more. And it's not, it just, and it it felt like. I found the perfect person to meet my attachment style. Yeah, so that's it. they're a gambling addict and they're $10,000 in debt on a weekly basis. Yes, or this person refuses to grow and won't do any new things with me, but they've got a great, you know what I mean? Or this person refuses to groom, okay? Yes, thank you. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, so they never, 
they never address that, not even in like a throwaway sentence. So here, I, I, you kind of were answering this, but yeah. my question is, who is this book perfect for? So I think this is going to be most effective for anxious attachment types. Okay. Um, but I mean, I, I think also, I mean, anxious or avoidant, right? Because if you're secure, you're doing a pretty good job. Um, I, I think it's, it's great for anybody who keeps fighting with their partner and doesn't know why. See, I was thinking it would be good for like therapists or like marriage oh, yeah, ther- counselors. Yeah, yes. And I actually... I actually wish that um, one of my therapists that I'd been to before had known about this yeah. because that could have been really helpful. So just being able to have the words for something yeah. is really helpful. But I, I think anxious avoidant types can really help because if you're avoidant and you don't want to feel like someone is being super needy, then you know all you have to do is reassure them or they talk about if you're an avoidant type. You can just send pre-written text messages throughout the day to your significant other so that you won't get 14 phone calls trying to connect with you, right? So there's all these these good takeaways. Okay. Yeah. Um, Who is this book terrible for? This book is terrible um, for people who... It's tough, right? It's very, it's very biased in that it's like for people who want to be in a relationship. Like if you're like, no, I was married for a long time and I'm not anymore and I'm happy living out the rest of my days as a single person, then this book isn't for you. But I, I can see how it could help you understand like how a friendship is being avoidant mm-hmm. or how a, a sibling has an anxious attachment yeah, style. Is there any comment about non-romantic relationships in this book? Sort of offhanded ones, but this really is about relationships, romantic relationships. Yeah. Um, uh, Just two person romantic relationships. Yes. Um, It sounds very practical, Patty. There's no woo woo. Super practical, Patty, but also there is a woo woo component of like, you'll find the right person for you. Oh, eat shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. And and, I mean, they even say that secure people are like, secure people understand there's many people they could bond with and have a great time with. Yeah. But also, they don't really touch on like, you can be like, how many people have been married is my question. I don't think they're, well, they're not married to each other. No, but I mean, like, oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I don't know. How many marriages have they had, should I but say? But the other thing I wish they touched on is it. they pretend that it's pretty black and white. If you're an anxious attachment style, you're secure. But, like, if I'm secure, I'm definitely 20% anxious attachment style. Like, yeah. I like to connect with someone on a daily basis. If I'm not reassured by that, then I think, like, oh, they're— they don't like me. Also, you know what I mean? I was raised as a woman in the United in North America. And so it's been taught to me to constantly be worrying about whether or not this this person you know what I mean? It's taken because a lot we care. of yeah. It's taken yeah, the emotional labor so component I, of it. Yeah. And they do they do have a a grid with four quadrants and you know they de- like there are people who are anxious avoidant there are people who are secure avoidant but they don't really touch on it yeah, okay. as much as they should so it's not black and white and when I took that quiz I wish that it had said oh you're secure with a, a, a few avoidant tendencies a tidge a, a, a sprinkle a, a, a smidge so other than the quiz was there anything else you implemented from the book no cool no just assessment and I did think about past relationships and what those attachment styles are like, but I think I think I definitely will be filtering any future interactions between like, is this an anxious reaction or or can I make this a more secure I love that. like text message? You know what I mean? And you told me that my homework is to take the quiz at yeah. attachment the book. 
attached, as attachedthebook.com. And I really want to know anybody who has read this book, used this book, if it worked for you, if it didn't. If you're two avoidance who are like, we get along fine because we never see each other. Because we never fuck. It's like, I mean, Dolly Parton and her husband lived in separate houses forever, fine. right? So it's fine. like, all right, let us know how it's going for you. Yeah. And with that, everybody, I'm going to use a deactivating and avoidance strategy here and say, life, life is, is abundant. Whoops. <laughs> Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at Podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.